2: Why, yes, we do talk about songs, and we have got a murderer's row of them to discuss today. I am your co-host, Mark (laughs) Blankenship, here at Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, and joining me as ever is my Lilith lady, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah.
1: Wow. Hello. Hello. Enjoy me while you can, because this episode literally might kill me.
2: Uh, So, Sarah, as we have now reached episode six, that means we are going to be talking about 30 songs that are in contention to be named the Lilith Fairest of them all. And as is custom around these parts, we will be ranking every song in our now 30-strong list, but we will only be discussing the five newest entries. Why don't you tell us what those five new entries
1: are? Buckle up, folks. One of Us by Joan Osborne, The Promise by Tracy Chapman, Sleep to Dream by Fiona Apple, Stay, Perens, I Missed You and Perens, Lisa Loeb Nine Stories, and Sunny Came Home by Sean Colvin.
2: And I will say that we only- I'm already exhausted. We just created this uh, listing based on putting the songs in alphabetical order or by song title, we did not plan for so many of the Mount Rushmore of Lilith artists to appear in one episode but here we are.
1: <laughs> I I mean truly like there's there's going to be weeping and not the figurative kind. Like this is my the promise to you. <laughs> now but there's there's a lot of road to get down before we get there. So
2: So for those of you who are new to this process or would just like a refresher, here's how it goes. As we rank these songs, The song that I like the most that I feel out of these 30 is The Most Lilith will get 30 points from me. The song that I think is The Least Lilith will get one point, and every other song will get a correlating ranking and point value in the list. Sarah will also assign point values, and our listeners, hopefully including you, have also voted, and we have used listener votes to create a third ranking, so the final ranking for this episode will be an amalgam of all three points.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, One of Us by Joan Osborne. Oh, my God. Um, this episode started causing problems immediately. Like, from the first um, old crone singing notes of this song. <laughs> One me, of these days at about twelve o'clock. <laughs> uh, I mean... I don't feel like this song has aged real well, but shall we listen to the clip that you selected and then discuss?
2: Before we do, let me just say, I had forgotten that she lip syncs along to that old lady singing in the music video, which I found Mm. weird and charming. But anyway, yes, let's listen to a clip.
1: Yeah, if it weren't for the lipstick that we're not in the lines, which very 90s, but uh, yeah, one of us, here's a clip. What would you ask if you had just one
0: question? Yeah, yeah, God.
2: Now, Sarah, this song reached number four on the Hot 100, and it was Joan Osborne's only hit. And I feel like as much as any artist in history, she is a one-hit wonder whose actual musical identity is incorrectly represented by her one hit. Um, Actually, Joan Osborne is a really fucking awesome blues rock artist who Mm happens to have a massive success because of this novelty song about God riding the bus. And right. the, the irony, though, is that I feel like if it weren't for this big hit song, I certainly would never have heard any of her other music. I mean, even on this album, Relish, she's got songs like St. Teresa, Right Hand Man, Ladder. They're so good. And then she's continued to release excellent music for decades. None of it has broken through in such a big way, but she has had an ongoing career as a touring artist. I think that, in a weird way, this song that does not represent her has given her the space to make the music and build the career that does. So, complicated from that point of view.
1: Yeah, and that complication is sort of paralleled by the choice of this song on our part, because this is the song. Yeah,
2: like, what the fuck else are we going to talk about, even though we know there are other good songs?
1: But my notes are pretty much like 90% my musing that we maybe should have picked St. Teresa because that was not just more typical of Joan Osborne, but more Lilithy, in my opinion, um, just on subject matter and in being a little less, well, I don't know, like the tweeness of, these, of this lyrical story is pretty lilithy honestly <laughs> in you know lilithy can be good and bad right um and also value neutral at times but it's like it, how would like if people are voting on the lilithosity of a thing like st teresa is more lilithy but also not well known yeah i compared to i just feel like it us. would
2: have been in a way because we did talk about when we were pulling this season together whether or not to do St. Teresa, but you made the argument, and I think you're correct, that, like you just said, what else would it be? It would be dishonest of us almost yeah. not to have it be this song, because I think, Sarah, you can agree with me here when I say, it's not like this song was just a hit. This song was blanketing the culture for a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, And it was a theme song, not of a WB show, and it was later. It was in the aughts, but... It was the theme song to Joan of Arcadia, which was a good show. And uh, so I don't – like, but this conversation is sort of at the heart of this whole season. Right. Like, what are we talking about when we say Um, How do we separate love from Um, Is it possible for a thing to be too much of – um, like, is there a balance of a bunch of different factors, and can something be out of whack in one way and right on in another? Which we've definitely been finding in our discussions. Um, I don't like this song as much as I used to. Yep. I think it has dated a little bit. I That opener is sucks. It's annoying. It's, it, <laughs> I'm sorry. it's also like,
2: just so primitivist. It doesn't actually mm-hmm. add authenticity to make a recording of an old mountain woman. It it just comes across as a little bit, uh, shitty, I think.
1: Yeah. And just asterisking your own that it's like, here's the symbology. Get it. Like, yes, like it, it's in the title. <laughs> okay. Um, the, it, it's just a lot of sort of dorm room BS in the lyrics. Um, it's not very femme forward, obviously. Um, God is, God is a guy in, in the song. Like if, if you really want to be Lilithy, you, God needs to be a, it, this needs to be a herstery of religion. Yes. Actually, um, if God
2: had been in any verse been referenced as a woman, I would have probably put this song in like third place.
1: Um, it's also, I also marked down a little bit because the song was written by the lead singer of the Hooters. <laughs> I mean, the Hooters are great, and we danced as a banger, but that's a guy, and his band is named after boobs. So, you know, <laughs> talk about one-hit wonders. He he knows how to write them. So um, I just kept comparing it to other stuff on the list, and it's like f- I felt um, obliged to assume a certain level of lilithosity on the part of the song that I was not genuinely feeling so i ended up with it in 18th place 13 points
2: sarah that is wild that is exactly where i put it nice also 18th place for me i feel like i couldn't put it in the bottom 10 because joan osborne is just exactly the type of artist that lilith Fair supported yes. and this is a yes. good time to mention That she was on this VH1 duets special that Melissa Etheridge had, where Melissa Etheridge sang a duet with three up-and-coming singers, uh, Joan Osborne, Paula Cole, and Jewel, all of whom went on to great success, all of whom performed at Lilith Fair, all of whom are on this season. And I think of that VH1 duet special as almost the proto Lilith, in a way.
1: Right. And even though Melissa Etheridge, who quote tweeted me, and yes, I literally put that on my resume, (laughs) thank you. As Melissa Etheridge pointed out in this quote tweet, like I just had some tweet about her holding that note out of the bridge of uh, Come to My Window. And she was like, teehee, except I actually never played the little fair. And it's like... It's a state of mind, girl.
2: Also, quote tweet me again. I know. It was awesome. We got read by Melissa Etheridge, but who hadn't paid attention to what we were doing until that moment and didn't do her research. But who cares? Thank you, Melissa. (laughs) Yes.
1: And she was not mad. And also, I don't necessarily want her to pay attention to what we're doing because there's like a whole fanfic about her wife being like, the window is your vagina. And I don't know what I don't know what goes on. Don't sue us. Oh, anyway. but
2: anyway, yes, I'm glad to be able to have a somewhat natural way to bring up the fact that Melissa Etheridge quote tweeted us about this season, quote tweeted you. I can't still, believe
1: I didn't like jam into a recent edit, just like me in a totally different voice being like, ah, she <laughs> quote tweeted us, woo.
2: I will say that we did enjoy a nice little freak out the day that that happened because it was really fucking cool.
1: <laughs> yeah just said a screenshot. It was like, this happened. Bye. <laughs> um,
2: so anyway, yes. If you were on the VH1 duet special, you are automatically higher than number 20 for me. Um, I should also Fair. add that Sophie B Hawkins came out at the end and did a performance of damn. I wish I was your lover, but she'd already been famous for a while. Point being Joan Osborne. Love you. Do not love this song. Like I used to actually, even when I re-listened to the relish album, which I do with some frequency this is a song that I will even skip because it's just mm. not that good. But I listened to it multiple times here, and I can see why it was a hit. It's very catchy, and it does have oh, yeah. just enough of a point of view to be different from what's usually on the radio. Sure. But not my dopest hit. Now, the the listeners, Sarah, could not disagree more. They put the song in third place.
1: Oh, <gasps> Wow. Yes.
2: Twenty-eight points from the listeners for Joan that Osborne. That is,
1: I mean, that is understandable. I don't, th- I don't think this is incorrect. I don't agree, but this is not. You know, it's not the Patty Griffin incident. Yes.
2: Now, to call out our own complete bullshit. Um, what do we do when we talk about? songs that you have to pick because they were the hits. Well, what we don't do is pick give me one reason or fast car. When we talk about Tracy Chapman, instead (laughs) we pick the promise because that just seemed like the right song. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it did. It did.
2: Um, The promise is on the album new beginning, which also featured the song. Give me one reason. And Sarah, I cannot find this online, but I am almost certain that this song, the promise was used in a commercial for the United Negro college fund. I can't really. I, I don't, I have just some memory of this song being in a United Negro College Fund commercial. Anyway, the promise Tracy Chapman was all over the Lilith Fair. She was played a lot of the dates. And in a way, Tracy Chapman, much like the Indigo Girls, but probably even to a bigger degree because she had had much bigger hits, she is one of the godmothers of the Lilith Fair, just in terms of the female singer songwriter ethos uh that she was able to gestalt that she was able to create um Mm. her music in some ways paved the way for all of the artists that we are going to be talking about even if they don't make folk music because she had such an interesting and unusual rise to fame and the whole thing about her even to a fact even to a degree that sometimes the media fetishized it was that she was a folk singer who never expected to get huge doing what she did she just wanted to make the art she believed in and then oops she becomes a superstar now we've talked about Tracy Chapman on this podcast before obviously she is brilliant uh, but also she has to be part of this conversation for so many reasons and uh, even more than the ones I just described frankly and the promise is a long slow sad song And uh, if you're not weeping into the shoulder of someone wearing a pashmina by the time it's over, I don't know what to tell you. Here's a clip from The Promise.
1: If you think of me,
0: if you miss me once in a while, then I'll return to you. I'll return and fill that space in your
1: heart. Oh, the schmaltz, the schmaltz. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's a bunch of songs like that. The whole album is like six and a half minute songs. Yes,
2: and they all have, they're all about, there's a song called The Rape of the World on that album. Oh God,
1: album. Yeah. And, like, everything has titles in it, like, ruin, <laughs> crushed hearts. I, I mean, the and this song is too much from the jump. Like, the, the picked chords, the strings, um, a lot of very, uh, you know, broad, blank images, like, you know, fill a space in your heart. But then the next line when she's, like, remembering, and uh, this very evocative um account of like a soulmate relationship that nevertheless is not functioning mm-hmm. um but it, there the promise is that it will continue to function and there is such sincere longing and mourning in this and such a strong sense of uh, the narrator taking leave of the mortal coil and um, that this is a queer artist of color who appears to be singing across like through the veil um, to uh, a lover, to a past lover, to past versions of her own self. I mean, it is it is painfully earnest and and sentimental, but not saccharine, not insincere and there is a nostalgic um like that that pain that is part of the word nostalgia um that is so recognizable um to anyone who has ever grieved anything mm-hmm. Uh, I find this song extremely effective, like, to a fault. Um, The fact that I am this far into my comments and have not started snuffling into the mic is really surprising to me. I certainly can't get through more than a minute of the song without the tears flowing. Um, And I think that that quality of... uh, Like this balance of the content, the presentation, the artist's career and the artist's sort of larger um, importance and like import to what not just the Lilith Fair meant and was trying to do, but what how women are just trying to be alive Mm, mm -hmm. in in the world and queer artists are and artists of color are, I think is extremely Lilith and I am not sure that it's going to stay where it is, but, uh, I think this might actually be too low, but it's still number four. Hey, 27 points. So I,
2: uh, just feel like the very fact that tracy chapman has had a major mainstream career is a miracle in a way yeah (laughs) yeah because her songs like you said they're so earnest there's never well i shouldn't say there's never any humor actually one of the things that made give me one reason such a surprise is that that song is very flirty and sexy uh Mm -hmm. and fun and that's just not what we had come to expect from tracy chapman but for the most part she is A consummate musician. She has incredible chops. She is willing to be, let me put it this way, she can be fun, flirty, and funny, but she is willing to be the exact opposite of those things and sort of insists that we listen to her as she does that. And her songwriting structures are so interesting. Um, You know, we've talked before about how Fast Car is such an unusual song in its structure and is incredibly powerful. And in its way, The promise is also very unusual because it's not much happens in this song. You know, it's kind of like one mood. It's all future tense. Yeah. yeah, And like there isn't a lot of musical dynamism in it and yet it really works. I think Uh, I don't mean this necessarily as an insult when I say that you could remove Sarah McLaughlin's Angel from those ASPCA commercials and drop the promise in there and it would be just as effective.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: I mean, imagine a sad puppy looking at you while while the promise
1: is flying. Yeah. In your arms where all my journeys end. Oh god. Fine, send all the puppies. And it's oh, it's like all the puppies.
2: There there's something about the quality of her voice, even the timbre of her voice, that makes it seem like she means it when she sings. And there's something about how understated this song is that makes me believe it more. I could maybe do with a little bit less of the strings on there, but mm, you know, yeah, whatever. but I still think that this song really works and it's quite lovely and it, it takes a very special artist to, like you said, be earnest without being saccharine and she really pulls it off. And I just, I mean, I don't know, again, I'm going to take the radical position that I love Tracy Chapman, you know, like every other <laughs> sane person in the world. So, I I I also put this song very high. In fact, I put it in 3rd place. Uh mm, I just think yep. again, like she is the type of artist that the Lilith Fair was designed to celebrate and the strength of her artistry is one of the reasons that the Lilith Fair worked. So, yeah, 3rd place for me, 28 points. And the listeners, somewhat surprisingly, put it in 12th place with 19 points.
1: Okay. But you
2: know, okay, yeah, we'll take it.
1: I get it. Uh I mean this is this next song is like I have absolutely no idea what to expect. I looked at my ranking just now having forgotten what it was. Looking at my notes and I'm like what what? And then I thought about it for two seconds and was like, okay, I guess I had no choice. So uh, the next song is Sleep to Dream by Fiona Apple, and I am going to be so interested to hear where everybody else put it and their rationale for doing so. Do you have any opening comments what? or shall we hear it? I'm
2: curious to know if you knew this song before we sat down to do this season.
1: I thought I didn't. I, like, I'm at this stage now where like song titles sometimes have no meaning to me, and I, so I thought I'd I didn't, but I did know the song. I just didn't recognize it based on the title.
2: Well, interestingly, this is a song that Fiona Apple wrote when she was 14. And then it showed up a couple of years later when she was still a teenager on her debut album, Tidal, T-I-D-A-L, that also featured Criminal, Shadowboxer, many other songs. Uh, we have talked about Fiona Apple on this show multiple times. I know that I am much more of a Fiona Apple fan than you, although I'm interested to hear what you think about this one. I do want to note that a, an R&B singer named Betty Lavette released an album in which she covered only songs written by women. And this song was one of the ones that she covered. And in fact, the name of the album was I've Got My Own Hell to Raise, which is a lyric from Sleep yes. to Dream. So this song was part of the larger cultural conversation uh, in several ways at the time of its release and after. But without further ado, here is a clip from Sleep to Dream.
1: i tell you how I feel, but you don't care. I say tell me the truth, but you don't dare. You say love is a hell you cannot
2: bear And I say give me my back and then go there for all I care
1: I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream You got your head in the clouds and not at all what you seem.
0: This mind, this body and this voice cannot be stifled by your deep
2: I have to say, I fucking love this song. Lyrically, the fury in it is so crystalline. And the fact that she wrote this song at 14 boggles my mind because yeah. the level of viciousness, but the clarity with which she sees the asshole that she is tearing down is, it. you can feel the burn from 100 miles away.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's the sort of, um outre melodrama like this sort of flamboyant everything is death and sadness thing that's going on with Biff Naked there's a place for that and i respect it but this is like it's drama versus soap operatic right. basically histrionics but this song which uh yes exactly which um i think that i'm always sort of startled every time with Fiona Apple by the pairing of this voice and the the sophistication of the lyrics um, and it like there's a um, it, it can take a while for it to sort of um, fall into gear in my ears. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, like the the defiance in these lyrics um, and her, I think Fiona Apple might be a case like Katie Lang where it's like this person and this talent exists outside of the axes that we are using Mm. right now. Um, So, I mean, I love the song. I think it's really good. Um, But Fiona as a, as a Lilith prospect, I just don't, I just did not know where to put her. I could not get my arms around her. I think she is like, She's too Fiona to be assessed in this way, but these are the lives we have chosen. Yeah. so
2: I also think this is a great reminder that what we're talking about here is more a concept because yeah. Fiona Apple, unlike Melissa Etheridge, did play the Lilith Fair, but I think yeah, you're right that when we talk about the mindset or the the ethos of Lilithness, she is a complicated figure despite having been on the tour. It's not the same thing yeah
1: like i think that the theory of her and her like that new yorker article about her as a maker and um the way that she thinks about her, not only her her creative output but herself as a symbol mm-hmm. for people um and this weird like non-genre genre shifting that she does and i mean her whole deal Capital uh, H, Capital W, Capital D is like extremely Lilith, but then the output defies that, like that or any other pigeonhole. Yeah, I think that you're onto something.
2: It's like Fiona Apple is too fucking. She one time when I was in uh, college, I was in a theater class where we were talking about Beckett, and the professor said, you know, with a lot of playwrights you talk about the the links between them you know like this led to this led to this well Beckett is a cul-de-sac like he is so distinct he's so unusual his genius is so specific that no one else is like him and it's even hard sometimes to know where he got it from he just leads to a road that ends and I feel like in a way Fiona Apple is like that and that is um, a testament to her skill but also yes makes it hard to rank her alongside you know very talented but perhaps more um less wildly inventive musicians
1: yeah and but then at the same time that very um resistance to um categorizing is also a resistance to being dismissed and that's extremely lilith yeah and so not only was i obliged therefore, to reassess my ranking of Katie Lang, which was upsetting. <laughs> I am upset and uh, still not convinced I did the right thing. But I, I think that we have to include – I think we can't be too um, n- new criticism about it and not and take it only on the basis of the song. And now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Let's talk about taking care of our minds. There are a lot of ways to take care of your mind and brain, learning a new language, my personal favorite, the power nap, and BetterHelp online therapy. Therapy is great. I've been using it for decades now, and it's been such a force for good in my life. It's a place to work through sticky emotions and situations, and it is the one time that I am willing to bore someone else with what I dreamed last night. BetterHelp is online therapy. You can pick your medium, whether it's video, phone, even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to be on camera if you're not into that. It's also more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. If you're ready to try BetterHelp, I hope you're also ready to save money. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash markandsarah. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash M-A-R-K and S-A-R-A-H. Thanks, BetterHelp. All this by way of saying that I put her in 11th place with 20 points, and I still, like, I think 20th with 11 points would have been right. I think second place might have been okay. <laughs> right. Like, I do this may change this may change during this episode if i don't die which i'm going to but for right now uh saint fiona of the apple orchard 11th place 20 points what'd you do so
2: i love this song and i'm gonna tell you that i actually gave her i bumped her up a notch maybe even two notches because i feel like still furious about the way that she was treated by the chauvinistic press when this album came out and in the very, the first like five, six, seven years of her career, because how can you fucking listen to this song and be like, she's just a waif who shows her panties. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no. And it's just like, yes, she looks, she had like a sexy video for the song criminal where she was a waif who showed her panties, but that was like for a reason you dumb fucks. And I just, it feels very Lilith to me to like be furious on behalf of a woman who is misunderstood mm-hmm. and mistreated by the chauvinistic press.
1: <laughs> and then this video, this video seems to me to be like from that same, um, that same creative idea, but like s- satirizing it. Yes, because she keeps literally
2: like, glitching out in the middle of it. She's like, yeah, this image is so unstable that it can't even last the three and a half minutes of the song
1: and like here's, you know, another sulky, junky, dirty hotel room visual, but the lyrics are th- like throwing you out of that. So, I I mean, yeah, it's well, I mean, how Lilith to be just frustrated on her behalf. Yeah. Ugh, yes. I you're still totally get right I I that. actually
2: still have fury. But anyway, okay, so I put this song in 7th place. Mm. And yep. the listeners put it in ninth. So we're all essentially alive okay. about the journey of uh, Sleep to Dream on this particular show. Okay. Now we're back to Lisa Loeb. We have talked about this song before in an episode where we ranked songs called Stay. You might remember that song with, um, oh, what's her name? All you got to do is stay a minute. Just take Alessia Cara. That was the, that was, anyway, I remember you liked that. (laughs) I did. (laughs) You remember when you liked that one song by that girl who had the hair and she had the voice on her? Oh, that at was Zed weird.
1: with two d's.
2: <laughs> Zed. Lord yes, Zed with two d- I have never understood him. Anyway, uh but Sarah, I feel like that we had <laughs> to talk about Lisa Loeb who was on the yeah. Lilith Fair. I actually saw her at the Lilith Fair, for heaven's sake. And as with Joan Osborne, I don't know what other song we would have I mean we like she had two other hits that reached the top 20, but come on, if you're going to talk about Lisa Loeb, this is the one.
1: Yeah, no, you have to um, And then, if you're me You have to watch the video with mounting Just annoyance Because <laughs> the song Is annoying But my ranking it, Ergo, is gonna be pretty bonkers Let's just hear the clip and get it over with, uh, shall we? Okay. <laughs> you say Shut up <laughs> I only hear what I want to <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Say I talk so all the time
1: so? so?
0: And I thought what I felt was simple
1: And I thought that I don't belong And now that I am <sighs> Okay, look. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't like this song and I think it's annoying, but... I have to respect the cleverness of the construction, um, her like tiresome spectacle, <laughs> shabby chic video set and the black tights and the black heel meh, 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 slap like she's just annoying to me. But <laughs> I think that that annoyance, first of all, is part of the song. And this, like, free versey, um, like, coffee house, um, both narrator and object sound like manipulative whiners. Of course, she misses him, even though he sucks. But, like, there is actually a lot going on with this song that if you are able to subtract the, uh, the, um, like, omnipresence of the song at a certain point, if you're able to subtract a certain, um, Anthropology catalog factory seconds tweeness to her personal presentation. Um, and you know, that's difficult, but there is a um there is a not winking, but there is a like clever, there's a cleverness to the construction of the song and to the implication of both singer and song object that I have to respect. I also think that this sort of um not not twee exactly, but just, you know, this like shabby chic lady singer-songwriter um like emotional uh messiness and neediness and um uh, I I don't know how to put it, but I think that in its being annoying, it is also Lilithy.
2: <laughs> like
1: that, this is perhaps exactly what people who dismissed the fest were trying to avoid by being like, "Not you know, for all the Golden Fort Knox, would I go to that?" Because Lisa Loeb, like, I think that still counts as <laughs> Lilithosity, and I think the fact that I, um have perhaps underestimated the song historically because I don't like it is exactly what Lilith was supposed to provide a, you know, provide a wall around the artists from, um, was my shitty unproductive attitude, I guess. So all this by way of saying That it's sort of interesting that there are a number of the songs in the top 10 that I'm like, I'd never want to hear that again. But it's Lilithy (laughs) as fuck. This is one of them. Third place. Whoa. points. Whoa, shit. Okay, well. You are welcome, Lisa Loeb. It's the last nice fucking thing I'm ever doing for you. (laughs) Do not stay. (laughs) I will step on
2: those glasses.
1: (laughs) And then give them to Wednesday Adams and what she does with them. You don't want to know.
2: Now, I, as you may recall from when we talked about this song before, am all in the tank for this song. I love it. It is a karaoke staple for me because it is really fun to really tap into the rage in this song. Oh, sure.
1: I will listen to you sing it. She's out. <laughs> okay, great.
2: Great. I'll take up a- she got
1: to stand outside.
2: I'll take on the mantle of this song from here on out. Um, But I really love this song, and I actually really like the album that it's on. Well, originally it was, of course, on the Reality Bites soundtrack. And when it reached number one, which is one of the few songs, I think maybe even the only song on this entire season that reached number one, uh, she did not have a record deal. And it was her neighbor and friend Ethan Hawke who got her onto the soundtrack. He directed the video with the irritating cat that she... Shows up several times. Um, uh, But then she released this album that was full of really weird um, college rock songs that I quite liked. But listen, do I completely understand your antipathy? Yes, I do. Uh, And the fact that this song is probably exactly what people who hated Lilith without going were thinking of is, you're right. Part of the reason it is a very Lilith song. But Mm -hmm. for me now, this is my own like crawling up my own butt rationale, but I could not rank this song higher than 10th, which is where I ranked it, because to me, a true top five Lilith song cannot be whining about a boy. Fair. (laughs) That's just like some Mark Blankenship internalized. Those are some internal things I've created, some criteria. But
1: if it's whining about a boy's whining...
2: Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. So I think, I, yeah, and the lyrics to the song through
1: the looking glass.
2: These, but the lyrics are very sophisticated, and she really is like so thoughtful about all of the ways that he's an asshole. And she's, I probably was being unfair when I did this, but you know, these songs have to go somewhere, and I eventually had to go to bed. Yep. I eventually had to go to bed.
1: I get, I get it. Um, I get
2: it. but. Yeah, the song is great. And the the lyrics are fun and smart and clever. And she's a really good artist. And anyway, 10th place for me, 21 points. If you are not familiar with any of her other songs, do give a listen to her song, Do You Sleep, which reached the top 20, but not the top 10 on the Hot 100.
1: I think I I know that song and I found it less... um... Less repellent.
2: Yeah, it's just a really interesting good song. Do You Sleep? Question mark included. Now, the listeners were more aligned with you, Sarah. They put this song in fourth place and gave it 27 points.
1: Whew, okay. We're almost there and I'm still alive. We did it,
2: almost. Okay. Almost. Last Up is a song that reached number seven on the Hot 100 in the summer of 97, meaning it peaked... When the Lilith Fair was happening, which I think is important to note, Mm -hmm. it is by Sean Colvin, who until this point uh, had been... A very well respected but somewhat underground folk musician. She was the kind of artist who was perpetually singing backup vocals on everybody else's albums. She sings background vocals on the Indigo Girls albums. She sings background on a song by Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega sings background vocals on a song that Sean Colvin recorded called uh, Diamond in the Rough. Like they're just every, she was just part of that community of. Female, folky singer-songwriters who were always helping each other, which is probably the one of the reasons. The artist's
1: artist, yeah. What? Say, say what, sorry? Uh, the artist's artist. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: And it's probably one of the reasons that she said yes to being on the Lilith Fairs, because she was like, well, all my friends are going to be there. So, uh, she also was, in that artist artist way that you just described, constantly getting nominated for Grammys, even though she didn't really have a lot of mainstream hits. I remember so clearly a song of hers called, I don't know why got a Grammy nomination for female pop vocal performance. And I was really very familiar with pop songs at this time. And I had never even heard of her. And I was like, what the fuck? So that Grammy nomination is what got me into her music because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't quite clocked that she was always in the background of other albums that I liked. And so I, when Sonny Came Home came out and was an actual breakthrough hit for her, I remember thinking, oh, they're going to give her a major Grammy for this because they've been wanting to give her a Grammy in a major category for years. This is the song that will give them the reason to do it. And I was right. This song earned the Grammys for both record and song of the year. Uh, so no small thing. And famously, when she was accepting one of those awards, Old Dirty Bastard bum rushed the mic and started talking about Wu-Tang being for the children. Um, all of that said, uh, there is a lot of interesting context around how I think Sean Colvin is in some ways the poster child for the Lilith Fair because of all these things. Like she rode up to that one moment of success while, while this festival was happening. She came out of the community of women artists, um, who were the backbone of this initial wave of Lilith Fair performances. Also, she happened to write a murder ballad that sounded like a non- Threatening uh, adult contemporary hit, but is actually about a woman who burns the fucking house down because she hates everyone inside of it so much. Here is a clip from Sunny Came Home.
0: Sunny came home with a list of names She didn't believe in transcendence And it's time for a few small repairs, she said
2: Now, Sarah, I loved this song at the time, but I have to say, I think I love it more now. It's just so sinister, but so beautiful. And the very last thing that happens in this song, you hear the sound of a match being struck, and then you hear the sound of someone blowing it out. And it's like... Sean Colvin herself is so ensorcelled by this woman's decision to burn the fucking house down that she is now playing around with the idea of becoming a firebug. I I just... There's just enough detail in this song to let you know that this woman has reached the end of her rope, but there's just enough mystery that we have to do some of the work ourselves. And the fact that it is all encased in this really fucking great riff, and that the singing is really good, and that the singing is very evocative and expressive, but it's never overly showy... All of that to me just further cements this as a fucking masterpiece of a song. And again, I really liked it in the 90s. I listened to the album A Few Small Repairs many, many times because I was already a huge Sean Colvin fan. But like now, in this moment, I think I like this song more than ever. That is why for me, Sarah, it is number two, 29 points. Yes. And sometimes I will put songs high in the ranking for a single episode because I like to keep things interesting for myself. But I really think that Sean Colvin is going to ride in my top five through the end. I fucking love this song. I feel like it is very Lilith for all of the reasons I just said, number two.
1: I had it pretty high up also. Um, I did not miss this song. I felt like I heard it a lot of times when it first came out and that was enough. But it was actually quite pleasurable to be reunited with it in this context because I was spending a lot of time thinking about, I mean, like, my first note is like, nothing says Lilith Fair like fucking arson. But I mean. (laughs) Set
2: to a mandolin.
1: Right. But what. Does say Lilith Fair is the is a sort of occupation of what I would call a very, very penis-y form, which is outlaw country. Mm. Um, like right down to this opening riff with the mandolin, which is something that traveling Willburys, Merle Haggard, um, what's his nuts,
2: Chris Christopherson, Who sang
1: old Red George Jones.
2: Oh yeah, right.
1: Um, I mean he wasn't an outlaw country guy, but like these. ...sorts of story songs about like... ...prison escape... um, ...vengeful destruction of property... ...this is a very... ...boner driven... ...format... ...and she has a very... ...feminine... ...like she picks a more feminine... ...stereotypically I guess instrument... Um, ...I know a lot of men play the mandolin... ...don't ask... ...don't at me... Um, ...and she has a very... ...beautiful voice... ...that is in a higher register... ...obviously... And she's singing about this, you know, lady named Sunny, like, doing a vengeance crime or possibly being insane. It's unclear where she came home from. Could have been a hospital. Could have been rehab. Could have been anywhere. So I find that extremely Lilithy, that from sort of the from sort of the center of power that is very woman-centric uh sean colvin sets up in this very male-dominated subgenre of music and tells this song that usually would be by and about a dude yeah um so that's super lilithy um and she like the delivery is exactly right the composition is exactly right like now that i've Listened to it a few times for this. I'm all set again because it really was. I feel like just in my world, it was everywhere, and I can get tired of it, even though it's good. But it's super Lilithy, not as Lilithy as you thought, but it did make my top 10. It is seventh with 24 points.
2: Yeah. And I think the fact that we have had you put three of these songs in the top 10 and then had one at number 11 for this week's episode. And I put four of them in the top 10. Like these are some fucking heavy hitters. The lowest ranked song yeah. was at 18th for us this week, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Heavy hitters. And I just want to go back to the the line in the bridge Get the kids and bring, or grab the kids and bring a sweater. Dry is good, and wind is better.
1: is better.
2: (laughs) That is so fucking scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like, she's just created a mnemonic for successfully (laughs) arsoning. Every good boy deserves fire. What is happening? It's
2: just like, and the fact that she, you know, it's one of those things where if your mom... Is yelling at you, she's mad. But if she's keeping a very low tone, she's really mad.
1: She's really mad.
2: Yep. And there's something about the pleasantness of this song and the breathiness with which she says this about wind is better that you freak, oh, oh, she's gonna fucking burn us all. Like, get the fuck away.
1: (laughs) Seriously, go out the back door, no talking, don't make eye contact.
2: Yeah. One of the greatest tweets I ever saw said, if you come home and your woman is listening to Goodbye Earl, not dancing, not singing along, just listening, you better hit the bricks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stitch that on a pillow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, hit the road before the road hits back. Fucking A. Um, where did the listeners put this?
2: They put it in first place. Whoa, yes. I truly, I Correct. was not expecting that. But I think that this is one of the things where our voting system actually helps a song like Sunny Came Home because we invite mm-hmm. people when we have 30 songs to pick their six favorites. And so right. I think that this may not have been everybody's first place song, but it was in so many people's top six that it actually became right. the number one vote getter overall. And yeah. the preferential ballot, as it were, really helped Sonny Came Home uh on this mm-hmm. countdown. And uh I think that's fucking cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, All right. Well uh listeners who are new or haven't been voting, go over to patreon.com slash and get yourself set up with that while we do some math.
2: everyone we're back now because this week's songs all did so fucking well we're just going to read out the ranking of the entire top 15 because all five of our new songs made it into the top 15 so good on you ladies um wow in 15th place sarah we have hand in my pocket hmm And then we have a tie for 14th place. They both got 54 points with The Promise and One of Us coming in in a tie for 14th place. Damn. Then in 12th place, we have My Sister by the Juliana Hatfield 3. In 11th place, we have He Thinks He'll Keep Her. Hanging on in the top 10, it's "Fucking Run by Liz Fair. Ninth place is Let Him Fly by Patty Griffin. Storming into the chart in eighth place, it's Fiona Apple with Sleep to Dream. In seventh place, it's Come to My Window by Melissa Etheridge. In sixth place, it's Cornflake Girl. In fifth place, thanks to uh, Sarah's largesse, it is Stay, I Missed You by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. In fourth place, it is As Cool As I Am. That's. Let me do this. In fifth place with 76 points, it's Stay, I Missed You. In fourth place with 77 points, it's As Cool As I Am. In third place with 78 points, it's Galileo. So no, one point difference there. Then in second place, we jump up to 82 points for I Will Remember You. Which means with 83 points at one point lead, Sonny Came Home is our number one song this week.
1: Wow. I am gobsmacked. That is, I mean, I'm not surprised that it did well. I'm not surprised that it came in in the top five, but that it unseated McGlock's. Yeah.
2: Like, I just wasn't, I mean, I love this song, as we just discussed, but I'm just so happily surprised that it had the power to go first place, like top of the podium. Sean Colvin anthem plays when she accepts her medal.
1: And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that it's going to be possible to unseat her, although, I mean, next week compared to this week will be a, a little more soothing. I think it will be a little easier to rank those, but man, the last episode and the full ranking, it's going to be a street fight. So, uh, <laughs> like we've said before, we need your help. Patreon.com slash masters and also reach out to us on Twitter at talk songs. We'd love to hear from you.
2: And you know, if you're going to burn the house down, just take notes from Sean Colvin. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, That's Me, and Sarah D. Bunting.
1: That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Bleave Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To
2: learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too.
1: That's Mark and Sarah with an h talkaboutsongs.com and for even more content and access to the Mastass happy hour become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com/mastass thanks for listening